0: So, O Lord, as we come before you today on this first day of a new year, we thank you, Lord. One thing we know is your mercies are new every morning, not just at the turn of the calendar, but every morning. And we need that so much. We thank you that your compassions, they never fail. And we thank you that your love never runs out. And we thank you we never run beyond your grace. We thank you, Lord, that... That measureless, matchless love, mercy, and grace of God always meets the need that we have in our life. And we're just sorry that we, <clears throat> that we need it. But we thank you so much that we have it. And we ask you, Father, to bless those in our church family who are sick and bring healing to them. We pray especially today for Brother Dale and ask you to fill him with just your joy and we thank you so much for him and we thank you for all of the things he does for us and we thank you for his friendship and ask you to bless him and help him to recover well and bless Susan as she cares for him and thank you Lord for uh, modern medicine and the science behind everything that can help us and we're uh, so blessed to live in this time period and we just want to give you praise and thanks for all of that. I want to pray for our other sick folks and ask ask you to heal them and build them up and strengthen them. And then we want to pray for our church family members who are grieving. Their hearts are broken and it seems as though the sorrow and the depths of sorrow are so much deeper this time of year during the holidays. But I thank you, Lord, that your love and your grace and your mercy is deeper still. And I pray that they would find themselves surrounded by your angels, that they would find themselves filled with the Holy Spirit, comforted by the Word of God, strengthened by your presence and your plan and the knowledge that they have of your truth. And I pray that you would supernaturally lift them up. Pray that you would build them up. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that this year might be in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 year that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us so that Christ receives glory in us and in his church and that it continues on generation after generation after generation until the Lord returns. And I pray, Lord, that personal battles would be won, personal sins would be overcome. I pray that issues in our lives And issues in relationships, this might be the year that they are resolved and things are put back together. And I pray, Father, that this would be the year that you would do a work in our church and make us fruitful, abounding in every good work. And I pray, Lord, this would be a year of evangelism to be able to touch our families, to be able to touch our community, to be able to touch the metro area and the state and the nation and even the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, this would be a year of holiness. I pray this would be a year of great testimony and great witness and great power in our lives and answered prayer. And I pray that you would fill us with joy and with hope and with optimism because the steps of the righteous are ordered of God And anywhere we go, you are already there, and you've already supplied the need, and you've already supplied all of the power, and you're the one that walks with us, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like David, we fear no evil, because your rod and your staff, well, they comfort us, and your rod and your staff is your presence. So Lord, today we thank you that you are with us, and we pray that you would open our eyes, to behold wonderful things in your word, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And may all the glory, all the honor, all the praise go to our commander-in-chief who is already victorious. To God be the glory, and may the name of Christ be praised. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Amen. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, Let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the... uh, Book of Philippians, and let's go to the second chapter. I love that chapter, and I know you do as well. We've been uh, talking back during the Christmas season. I was going to finish this up on Christmas Day. This is what I intended to preach that day, but the Lord had other plans. And we've been talking about the gift, G I F T. And first of all, we said that if we're going to really experience what God intended for us to experience in the incarnation of His Son, We've kind of got to get it right. The world doesn't get it right. We've got to get it right. And we've got to not only do that for our own personal benefit, but for the benefit of the generations that are coming up under us because you know they see and they experience everything that's going on in the world. And we want to counter that with the truth and with something that is eternal, something that is lasting, something that is substantive, something that has more staying power than a candy cane, something that has more staying power and value than the latest gift that will be out of date in uh, six weeks, more than something that has to have batteries that will only last about a month, if that long. We want something more substantive than that. We're going to need it as perilous times come. And so we've been talking about that First of all, we looked at G-I-F-T. It has to start with the glory of God. Too often, we take the incarnation, God loved me, and he sent his son. Well, that is true. But we're missing something if we don't start with what? When the angels made the announcements to the shepherds, the sky was filled with the glory of God. And then after the announcement was made, immediately the angels started saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and so while it does affect us and it does bless us it's not really about us it's about the glory of God this God who planned all of this before the foundation of the world and has carried all of it out perfectly and he has done it in a way so that in saving us and providing us redemption it brings glory to his name And then we said, I, we have to look at the incarnation, uh, putting on flesh is what that means. And we went back to Luke chapter 1 and said that the incarnation was not Jesus stepping out of heaven into a manger. It was more than that, Jesus stepping out of heaven into Mary's womb. And it's not so much the virgin birth that is the miracle as it is the virgin conception That is the miracle of God becoming man so that he could die on the cross, shed his blood for our sins. Because he couldn't do that as a spirit. Something had to die. Something had to bleed. And so God put on flesh so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. And yet at the same time, he could die in his humanity. He could bleed in his flesh For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And the world has no real clue about that. They see a baby in a manger. They don't really see a Savior on a cross. And if they do, they don't understand why or what it's all about. We said that we have to get the other thing too. F is the word fulfillment. Because it's through the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the Scripture that we see that Jesus was indeed the only one qualified to make the payment for our sin, to be our Messiah, to be our Savior. No one else qualified. I have uh, told you uh, many times before, I used to sing a song that said, I should have been crucified and I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Well, the last part is certainly true. But the first part of it I've come to understand that even if I had died a thousand deaths on the cross all that would do is mean a thousand times of going to hell for eternity because I could not pay for my sin, you could not pay for your sin. Only Jesus could do that and the cross was meant for Christ. That's the way that he was purposed and planned to die So that he would bear the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary for us. And to bear it completely and fully and infinitely for us. So that when he said, it is finished, that's exactly what it meant. He is finished. And he came, Jesus, uh, uh, pardon me, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, at the pleroma, at the due date, at the right time. And we looked at how all of the things that were going on in the world, the world of the Romans, and the world of the Greeks, even the world of the Jews, brought everything perfectly together for the spread of the gospel in a phenomenal way for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us today to the T. Glory of God, the incarnation, the fulfillment, and now the triumph. And if there's anything I think we need is to enter this year in a spirit of triumph, not to just enter into it saying, we'll muddle through somehow. We'll hang on until Jesus comes, but boy, it's going to be hard, and it's not going to be easy. But to go into that thinking, we've got battles to fight, we've got hardships that we're going to go through. We've got trials that we're going to experience. All of these things are part of what life is like in the world. Jesus said, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, he said also. I've overcome the world. And I think that's what Christians, in a lot of ways, are lacking today, and that's what our children are not seeing, and that's what the world is not really seeing, is the spirit of triumph that we have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I uh, read that uh, when it, uh, you ask people, what are the top reasons for celebrating Christmas? Now, we would like to think the birth of Christ and all of that, but didn't even make the top of the list. The reasons for celebrating Christmas, according to the world, is simply this. Number one, quality time with family. 87%, we want quality time With our family. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Is that why Jesus came? Now there's certainly nothing wrong with quality time with your family. I would encourage it. But is that really what it's all about? Second reason was. Exchanging of gifts or presents. 50% said that was the top reason. Well that sounds kind of self-indulgent doesn't it? And we think about uh, how often our gifts maybe disappointing, maybe as we give a gift to someone else that doesn't fit. They already had one. They don't like what you get them, Uh, whatever the situation may be. And uh, so sometimes it's disappointing whenever you give a gift. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Sometimes it's disappointing when you get a gift. Did you ever, when you were a kid... Go try to peek into some of the packages or try to shake them or feel them. And, oh, I just know what this is only to open it up. And it's not that type of thing where they can be disappointing. And so when you think about the world, how they're being set up, if the main reason is the exchange of gifts, how many people last Christmas morning were very disappointed and disillusioned through all of that because that's really all it was. And how many things... That especially were given to children. How many things didn't even last the day? How many things didn't even make it through the day? Or how many times have you given a kid something that you were so excited about. And uh, they didn't really care as much about it as you thought they were going to. But man did they ever like the box. You know that kind of thing that that goes on. So 50% said that uh, it's all about exchanging gifts. And then uh, there was another group of people, and some of these kind of overlap, of course. Uh, 44% said it's because of the children and because they really enjoy it. Now, in and of themselves, nothing wrong with any of those things. Quality time, that's good. Giving them and exchanging of gifts, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And uh, then wanting children to experience joy And uh, to really have a good childhood and happiness and the memories. I think a lot of us probably have those kind of memories of grandparents and aunts and uncles and places and gifts and memories, all of that. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I think one of the things that happens this time of year and why there's such a letdown is there's always the hope and the promise that is tied to the date. And to the season of the year, it's supposed to fix everything. It's supposed to bring us together. It's supposed to make us like each other once again. It's supposed to, uh, may all of your hopes and dreams and wishes come true, so many of the songs say. And yet, it doesn't really happen. Sometimes it can be just a tremendous uh, letdown. (coughs) Excuse me for this cough. And so we have got to be careful that as believers, that we set the right example for our children. Because when I was reading that, I thought, well, how sad. And then the thought struck me, and sadder still, a lot of us will be the ones that say, put Christ back in Christmas, it's terrible what's happening, the people don't worship the Savior. And yet our family gatherings are just like those three things that I just read. And that our emphasis and that our time and that our money and everything we do is really no different than the world. It it pretty much matches up with where they are. And then we wonder why we feel sometimes so incredibly empty. Now, again, I would encourage you to do all of those things, except not to make that the sum total or the focus of what you were doing or you're going to miss the whole point think about the gift and think about the glory of God think about the incarnation God putting on flesh and think about the fulfillment of all of those prophecies in the Old Testament and how Christ fulfilled all of those and think about the triumph that he has already experienced that he wants you to live in his victory that he died Uh, to give you and so when we think about that we have to go to uh, Philippians chapter 2 now this is such an important passage of scripture because if I were Caesar Augustus or Octavian and somebody came to me and said you know trouble in Israel well I'd perk up my ears because Israel was always trouble what's going on is there a riot is there a rebellion is there something like that happening? No, but uh, boy, we've got a baby that's been born. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Yeah, this, uh, this teenage uh, girl got pregnant. She's not married yet. and uh, uh, Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, she is from Nazareth. Nazareth. Now, if I were Octavian, I'd probably have to get out my map to find out where Nazareth was. Those names of those cities kind of get famous to us ...because of the Bible. But you have to understand, back in those days... ...Nazareth was an obscure village. Nobody knew that. So Caesar would say, where is that? Get out the map and look at it. And he would probably laugh. Really? This is important? This is significant? Oh, well, because of your decree... ...that taxes had to be paid... ...and uh, and registration for the taxes... uh, ...had to be made... They had to go to Bethlehem, okay? And this concerns me. Why? Well, this baby was born, okay? And uh, where was he born? Born in a palace? Was he born in uh, some kind of a huge celebration? Were there fireworks? Was there feasting? What is going on here? No, actually, he was born alone, born in a stable. And uh, apparently, no one to even help this teenage mom with the first birth of her child. And Caesar Augustus would have looked at that and and laughed. What kind of a story are you telling me? And why should this concern me? How does this compare to the mythologies of Jupiter and Zeus and Athena? How does this compare to the stories of our past? How does this compare with Julius Caesar and people like that? This is a joke. What kind of thing are you bringing to me? Because the whole story... Seem like something that was kind of a tragedy, kind of sad, uh, ill thought of, and ill prepared for. I mean, what kind of God sends His Son into a place where there's not even room in the inn? Don't you think that there would be something better than that, something greater than all of that? And what kind of God would send His Son to be a king of a king of what? Palestine? What in the world does that even matter? in world affairs or in the Roman Empire. All of it looked weak. All of it looked pathetic. All of it looked sad. All of it looked like uh, just, well, maybe God needs our help. Maybe this king needs our help. I mean, even our our songs. One of the the dumbest Christmas songs ever written is uh, a shepherd boy who is listening to a little lamb And uh, they say, do you hear what I hear? Have you ever listened to the words of that song? That is just the dumbest thing. Don't listen to animals. Okay? Don't listen to animals. And uh, all of this stuff goes along. A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Okay, my first thought is, that presents Christ as weak, It presents the whole plan of God and the incarnation as something that we've got to run into it real quick and we've got to help God quick. We've got to fix this or it's going to fail. Do you hear it? The other thing too, he shivers in the cold. Bring him silver and gold. Bring him a blanket. Right? I mean, it's just kind of dumb how we put all those things together. But I think That if you were to talk to your average, maybe somebody in your family or a neighbor or somebody who would get truly honest. And they would go away from the mystical, religious aspects of it and just get bare bones honest. They look at the Christmas story and they say, this is weird. This is odd. What kind of a God would do this if everything you say is true? What kind of a God would do this with and to his own son? I could come up with a better plan than that, they might say. And this is why the whole story of Jesus was such a mystery and it seems so preposterous to Sadducees, Pharisees, Romans, and other people like that. Who does this and how in the world does any of this work? And so if we're not careful, we fall for the bait and we fall for the trap. And we need to see and understand something far above everything else. Start reading with me in Philippians 2 verse 5. Okay, Paul says that uh, this is something we are to think about because he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, meaning equality with God, the very nature of God, the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, made himself, get that? Made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, get that again, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Notice Paul emphasizes that. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those in earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I read that and that sounds a whole lot more powerful, weighty, meaty and strong than simply a child shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. This is something that puts God at the focus and not a shivering baby or our ability to help the shivering baby out. And so the world's got it backwards and a lot of Christians do too. This is something that is amazing. The triumph of God that we find here that is expressed at Christmas is this. Number one, I would say the triumph in the plan of God this is something that God planned before the world ever began. This is something that God didn't say, I got some dice here, and let's say, uh, we'll do this. We'll shake them up, and if we get uh, snake eyes, we'll send a baby to Bethlehem. If we get a six and a five, then we'll send him on a white horse. Let's, let's see what to do. What do you angels think we're going to do? And they all made bets together and rolled the dice to see what would happen And then when it came out, they go, okay, let's try that and see, see if it works. If that's your view of God, you don't understand the God of the Bible. That is a weak, weak view of God. This is a God who planned everything about the birth of Christ. He planned for Christ to go from heaven into the womb of a virgin. And Mary was no accident. That she was from Nazareth, an obscure village in Galilee, was no accident. That she was betrothed to the village carpenter was no accident at all. The fact that they had to travel during the last part of her pregnancy from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem was no accident at all. And sometimes we look and say, oh, the mean innkeeper who wouldn't let Mary and Joseph and the, Okay, first of all, that's not in the Bible anywhere in the Christmas story. It's in a lot of your cartoons, and it's in a lot of your books, and a lot of your shows and movies, but there's nothing in there about the innkeeper at all. All it says in there is there was no room in the inn. That's not the innkeeper's fault. It wasn't malicious. All of the people coming into the little town of Bethlehem to be registered, to be taxed, overwhelmed them. And they didn't have enough room for all of them. But that's not because anybody was negligent or mean or rude or anything like that. Folks, it was the plan of God for Jesus to be born in that stable and to be adored by the shepherds as he came to earth. And so when we think about this, whenever God plans something... Whenever God makes a decree, understand this, it is as good as done. Whatever He plans to do, He does it. Christ is even seen in the book of Revelation as the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, right? And so none of this had God the Father in heaven in tears, wringing his hands, saying, oh no, what are we going to do? There's no place for my son. Now everything worked out exactly the way that it was supposed to work out, just as it is now. And So this one who was in the form of God, equal with God, he let go. A robber grasps something and holds on to it, And when it says he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, he didn't consider it something to be grasped, but willingly let go of it. Not that he ceased to be God, but he ceased to take the privileges and the prerogatives that he could have as God. He emptied himself. He laid all of that aside so that he could come to earth for the glory of the Father and to be the sacrifice for your sins. And so secondly, notice that there's triumph even in his incarnation. Made himself of no reputation. Now notice there, they didn't make him of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Jesus could have come at any time in any way that he chose. And he could have been born in a palace. He could have been born with great fanfare. But instead, he chose to be born in obscurity, to peasants and in a stable and in a a way that nobody normally would ever hear anything about it. He chose all of that. This is the Lord being in complete control of the whole thing, taking the form of a bondservant. That's not the way you would expect the Messiah to come. And coming in the likeness of men. And when he became... In that appearance of man. When the birth took place. Then what does he do? He goes even further and humbles himself. To be obedient to the point of death. So he comes not to live. But he comes to die. Not to conquer but to give. He comes to lay down. He comes to let go. He comes to stand before people. That are going to make judgment over him. And that of course is an amazing thing. Hebrews 10 Five through seven, it says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you, the Father, have prepared for me, the Son. In burnt offering and sacrifices you had no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written for me, to do your will, O God. And of course he did. And by the way, that really is the definition of triumph. Just doing and obeying the will of God. Thirdly, I want you to notice the triumph on the cross. Jesus is not a victim hanging on the cross. He was a warrior fighting the battle for your soul. Fighting the battle to glorify his father and pay the sin debt that we as believers would owe the father. To satisfy the justice of God. And he is warring. He is working. And he is battling on the cross. And the triumph is not just in the empty tomb. The triumph is actually on the cross. Read the first chapter of Colossians. And Paul said that he humbled himself to the point of death. And then he says even the death of a cross. And because of that God highly exalted him. One writer said... Crucifixion was not simply a convenient way of executing prisoners. It was the ultimate indignity, a public statement by Rome that the crucified one was beyond contempt. The excruciating physical pain was magnified by the degradation and humiliation. No other form of death, no matter how prolonged or physically agonizing could match crucifixion as an absolute destruction of the person now this person that was crucified was a person that was to be utterly rejected their memory wiped out they were hung on the cross in a place where people would pass by and see them with their crimes written above them over their heads As an example, do not cross Rome or see what awaits you. Their bodies would be left on the cross to rot, to decay, to be eaten by vultures. And it was such a horrible, horrible thing. And when they were finally taken down or they fell down from the cross, they were pushed over a pit, over a cliff, into a hole, into a mass grave, and they were remembered no more. No wonder they marveled. When in Isaiah, all of those hundreds of years before, it said that the Messiah would be with the wicked, with the criminals in his death, but in the rich in his grave. You didn't bury crucifixion victims with the rich. They didn't have a tomb. They didn't have Joseph of Arimathea to come claim the body. Nobody did that for crucifixion victims because of the horrific nature of death. In fact, in the Old Testament it says cursed is he who is hanged on a tree. And Jesus did become a cursed for us. So that he could pay our sin debt and take that curse for us in our place. And yet even in the midst of that the Bible says in Colossians 1. That Christ triumphed on the cross and disarmed principalities and powers while he was on the cross. The triumph even on the cross is amazing and something that only God would think of and something that is mind-boggling to think that our Messiah would come to die and even more, to die like that. To die like that was beyond anybody's imagination. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely He has borne our griefs And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Can anybody say amen to that? That's triumph. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Who could have imagined a plan like that? Only, only in the heart of God. And God not only imagined it, but he put it into action. He carried it out. And from eternity past, it was as good as done. Only a matter of time until it actually happened. That's the triumph you have because you've repented of your sins and trusted Christ. And lastly, notice here, the triumph in His exaltation. Is that the end of the story? No. Not at all. Because the Bible says He's been given a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every, emphasize that, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of, on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why is that? We're back to this again. To the glory, to the glory of God the Father. I wonder what it's going to be like on that day when all of the lost beings... Lost humans of all time are going to be summoned before the great white throne. There are going to be a whole lot of nobodies that are going to bow before the Lord. And they're going to do because it says every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So all of them are going to do it. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Octavian, Caesar Augustus, Of Luke chapter 2 fame. Bows his knee. Before the son of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like. When Pontius Pilate. Comes and is called forth. And bows his knee. Before the son of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like. When those people who blaspheme the Lord. Who use his name in vain. Who laugh at him. Who mock him. And everything he stands for. When they bow the knee. And they confess together. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you picture the triumph? Can you picture the power that's in that? Can you picture picture the way justice will finally be totally and completely fulfilled? When every criminal that ever died before they went to trial or before they were ever caught and somebody said maybe you've seen this on a TV show well they got off easy wait until they stand before the Lord and you won't say that anymore this is when perfect justice is set forth and everything is put in order because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will, I will, everybody will. It's just a matter of time and it's a matter of when. Now, if you're saved today, it's because you have bowed your knee before the Lord and confessed Him and surrendered to Him as Lord in this life. But for those of you who say, ah, not me, that's not for me, you will. You will one day. And you'll do it by force, and you'll do it as the last thing before you are cast forever into the lake of fire. Isn't that a chilling thought? Have you ever wondered when the, in the, in the uh, lake of fire where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? What are they saying? What is it that you hear? Constant noise in hell. You ever watch one of those reality prison shows? Have you ever noticed how much noise is in that prison day and night? Just a constant noise. Shouting, talking, all of that kind of stuff going on. Can you imagine in hell where it's outer darkness? You can't see what's around you. You're not having fellowship with anybody because you're isolated. And yet you hear the noise. I had the thought one time that maybe the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth is because in hell... For eternity. The only thing they can say is. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. And it's almost haunting. Because it does nothing at that point. But today. You can say. Jesus is Lord. And repent of your sins. And trust in Christ. And his Death, burial, and resurrection as the full payment for your sin. And it's not haunting to you. It's a beautiful melody today. And it is life-giving. Because whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And that's the good news. Jesus said... When he was in the garden praying in John 17. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. And with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Stephen Lawson said at Jesus' first coming, he stood trial before the world. At his second coming, the whole world will stand trial before him. So today, if you've never trusted Him as Lord and Savior, I encourage you today, repent and believe the gospel and receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and His triumph because He's already won the victory. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. One day He's going to return. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. You don't know. I don't know. Trust Him Today. Trust Him today as your Savior and Lord. And if you're a believer and you've not been living for the Lord, think about that. You were created to live and to walk in the triumph that Christ died to give you. Don't sell yourself short. Repent of your sins. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and obey the Word of God and let the power and the grace of God flow through you. And that is the prescription For a great Christmas and even a happy new year. The glory of God, the incarnation of Christ, the fulfillment of Scripture and prophecy for the forgiveness of sins. And the triumph that God has from start to finish, all of it for the glory of Jesus. So I'd like, before we leave today, I'd like for you to stand and I want to read a verse of Scripture in a blessing to you before you go. This is the Lord's blessing upon you. Go ahead and stand up. It's out of Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work, to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And wouldn't that be the greatest year you've ever experienced if that particular blessing were brought into your life? And so as we come into this new year on this first day of 2023... Understand, before too long, it'll be just like 2022, and we'll come to the end. It's not just about starting well, it's also about being faithful throughout and finishing well. And as we think about all of this, this may be the last year that some of us have. How will you finish? How will you go departing this life? How will you leave in triumph? are in defeat. And God has given us his triumph and his victory in his plan, in his incarnation, right? On the cross and in his exaltation. And we get to participate in all of that. May the victory of Christ flow through us. And may we approach this year not waiting to see if there will be victory. But in faith, looking and seeing, there already is victory in Jesus Christ. And we can possess it, walk in it, and live in it. No matter what our circumstances may be, we triumph in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so very much. Let's pray together.